Chapter 13 Aftermath Taken from the Journals of Max Landau Date 148 DD 78 days into our voyage Silence ruled the Alabaster Queen Her crew sat, stood, and lay on deck each attempting to ignore the flame flickering in the distance. Now, no larger than a candle, the light happily danced against the brightening horizon, joyous as the child it took. I stood at the queen's stern, my eyes cracked dry, my skin raw from the fading inferno. I knew what fed the flames. I knew the actions taken and not taken to bring it to pass. God's help me, I knew. Scribe! A slurred voice broke the sacred silence. My cabin, now! My mind, slow from exhaustion and horror, took several moments to understand the captain was referring to me. I tore my gaze from the flame threatening to disappear forever. The crew of the Alabaster Queen stared at me, their eyes searching, curious, even afraid. They wanted to know what happened, wanted to know how only three days after landing on its shore, an island went up in smoke stealing any chance at restocking provisions or visiting the garden itself. I avoided their gaze. I didn't care what they wanted. I do not intend to relate this story anywhere but in my own journals. No one will read it, as these journals are as lost to the sea as I am. It doesn't matter. It's best we forget what happened on Haven. As I raised my fist to the captain's door, Niles Parbat emerged from the darkness a chiseled statue glowering down upon me. I froze, half in fear, half in confusion. Do not tell her about the infant or the mother. He spoke quietly, flat, free of all emotion, but even then I could hear the threat hiding behind his manners. What could I do? I nodded, or maybe I just shook vertically. It was enough. Parbat released my arm, patted me on the shoulder, smiled, and walked away, whistling into the night. I shivered in the cool breeze. The infant, I thought? What was Parbat talking about? Sephora had been a teenager, but as I stepped away from the railing, I remembered. The dead eyes, the echoing wail, the pulsing roots, the infant that was not. No, I hope to never mention that thing again. The captain's quarters were much as I remembered them. A roiling mound of alcohol-infused mess, stinking like the never-ending bender she seemed intent to kill herself with. Clothes littered the ground and hung from open shelves, broken glass and empty bottles piled in the corner where the captain drunkenly threw them, expecting someone else to tidy up. As of yet, no one had. Not even Miles Parbat who I had seen on multiple occasions exercising the mess from our captain's spirited possession. I was impressed at the level of mess the captain could accumulate between Parbat's frenzies, but I did not voice my thoughts, as miraculously, the captain appeared to be relatively sober. She sat behind her desk, pouring the last of a cracked bottle of whiskey into an ornate wooden cup. Lovingly carved by someone other than who was using it, the captain cradled the cup as if she held the finest ceramic. Destro raised the cup to her lips and sipped, her lone eye sharp and searching. My gut clenched. If the captain was in a sipping mood, 
She meant business. Have a seat, Mr. Landau, Destro said. I did, removing several whiskey-tainted papers and a plush-stuffed cap from the indicated chair. I didn't speak. Words always abandoned me in the captain's presence. The woman was an enigma. At times, drunken and foolish. At others, completely terrifying. She sat there now, sipping her drink, her single eye drilling into me, her other eye covered, as always, by her beautiful red scarf. I sat there, skewered by her gaze. She did not speak, not for a long while, not until the tension grew unbearable. Finally, she spoke. Tell me. And I did. From making port in Haven to meeting Sephora, Maris, and Neville, to the festival and Sephora's sacrifice. I told her all, accepting Maris's story of her childhood and the pregnant woman, while Niles Powerbat's warning rang in my ears. The captain did not so much as lift an eyebrow at the horrors I recounted. You'd think she'd heard stories about cannibalistic trees every day. Only when I spoke of the procession of trees walking themselves into the ocean did the captain react. She blinked twice, shook her head as if to ward off an annoying fly, then rose and moved to the window where, off in the distance, the soft flame of Haven could still be seen. And what did Mr. Parbat do when he saw where the child was walking, the captain said, her voice bitter. I stumbled over myself trying to remember. It had seemed so trivial at the time, so small compared to the night's horrors, but yes, the captain was right. Niles Parbat had taken a heading. The captain nodded and turned, wearing a smile that was condescending enough to be from my mother. I thank you, Mr. Landau, was all she said. I knew a dismissal when I heard one. I rose and moved to the door, trying not to rush, but desperate to leave. Mr. Landau, the captain's voice stopped me in my tracks. Could you ask Mr. Parbat to come to my cabin, please? I nodded and fled. The first mate stood behind the helm, speaking silently with the helmsman, Mr. Stiggs. Though they spoke openly enough, the late-night breeze carried their voices away, leaving me to guess at the specifics of their words. When Parbat saw me, he smiled and moved my way, patting Stiggs' shoulder as he went. Stiggs nodded in response, turning the wheel slightly starboard. The captain would like to see you. I said, not meeting Parbat's eyes. Parbat nodded as if he'd been expecting it. I hope you stuck to our agreement, he whispered softly. I shivered and nodded. I realized then what I had known subconsciously for months. I sailed with drunkards, murderers, psychopaths, and cannibals, and yet Niles Parbat scared me more than the rest. It was his stillness, his absolute confidence. He was a man who considered every step, every eye twitch, every minuscule action of his life, and did nothing without good reason. I knew that whatever this man deemed important enough to smile for, he would just as easily kill for. Parbat patted me good-naturedly on the shoulder and moved off to meet the captain, leaving me alone with Stiggs. The helmsman unnerves me almost as much as the first mate, his bandaged face and luminescent purple eyes apply an air of inhumanity that steals sleep from my nights. He steers our ship most days, and most nights, 
rarely resting for meals, sleep, or even urination. He's the only member of the crew who does not sleep in the hold, giving rise to many a rumor of where he spends his time when he is not at the wheel. Beautiful night, I said in a meek attempt at conversation. Stiggs turned those eyes on me. It wasn't so much the color, but rather the depth that unsettled me so. Layers upon layers of violets and purples shifted over one another, implying a depth not possible inside a human head. They're all beautiful, Stiggs said in his high, soft voice. Lost in his eyes, my words died on my tongue. So I bobbed my head and excused myself from the helm, hoping to lose myself in the darkness. But Stiggs' eyes were not alone in following me that night. Max! My name stopped me dead. It was never said aloud on the Queen. They either called me Mr. Landau or simply Scribe. The only person who called me by my first name was... Hello, Willis. We had not spoken since our final day in Lastport, though I had attempted many times. Now, Willis stood before me, his once coiffed hair a mess, the mascara he so proudly applied drooling past his wide, white eyes. He did not look like the Willis of old. But then again, none of us looked like who we once were. Is it true? He asked, without evidence of the hatred that stained his face whenever we accidentally locked eyes across the mess. Is what true? I asked. The crew is talking, Willis said, stepping towards me urgently. They're speaking of... 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 He couldn't bring himself to say it. My lip curled. A great dislike for my former friend filled me. The way he sniveled, shuffled, wringing his hands together as if to wash away the fear. It made me sick. He was so soft, so afraid at the mere mention of the things I had experienced. He was so little, so weak, where I, at least in that moment, I was something else. But Willis gritted his teeth and continued bravely, whispering, the island burned, Max. You were there for three days. Three days, and then the entire island just... The crew is talking. They're talking about trees that eat people. About a village that, that fed them. About a girl. And finally his nerve failed him, and he fell into quivering, shaking silence. I almost smiled. It appeared someone had been gossiping. Parbat could threaten me but I doubted anyone could intimidate our other companion. My eyes swept the deck for Dawn, finding her in the middle of several crew members, each listening intently to her whispered tale. I grimaced, wondering if she told them where Maris got the oil. Yeah, I said. It's true. All of it. Willis sank to the deck, my words crushing him underneath their weight. I've made a terrible mistake, Max, Willis whispered, his voice flat and dead as if the fate he feared had already come to pass. A terrible mistake. This journey is nothing like I wanted. I thought we'd find treasure, glory, maybe even women. I thought. But each island, there's some new danger, some new horror. The crew, Lastport, and now this, this haven... They're all broken. And we've only just set sail. What will the next island be? And the next, and the next, and the next. Willis buried his head in his hands. I hoped he would stop speaking. 
but only fools hoped. It's not just that, Willis continued. I can deal with the terror. I can handle these awful people. No, it's not that. It's the time between the months of nothing but water, of of nothing but emptiness, the lack of anything. I never thought the ocean would be so big. Well, it is endless, I said, my voice empty from exhaustion. Wheels choked out a laugh through the tears. I don't know. Maybe it would be better if we just turned around. He glanced up at me, his eyes red, pleading for solace I could not give. Slowly, my hatred leaked away. This, in the end, was my friend. I knew him. I loved him. He may not feel the same way any longer, but it was still true. I lay my hand on his shoulder. It's your ship, Will. We can do whatever you want. And for a moment, everything was all right. Willis patted my hand thankfully. I smiled, and all the horror was forgotten. We stayed there, my hand on his shoulder. The familiar ocean breeze rustling our hair as if she were the caring mother we both wish we'd had, uniting us as brothers. But then Willis tensed, and his eyes narrowed. Hatred returned to his face, and with it, the memories of what I'd done. He pushed my hand from his shoulder, stood, and without a word, walked away. I watched him go, then sat down and sighed. There wasn't much else to do. As the crew gossiped around me, I looked up into the sky, waiting for time to pass and memories to fade. The captain's door creaked open and swung closed. A shadow fell over me. Thank you, came the soft rumble of Parbat's voice. She is not ready to know. I opened my eyes to find the first mate standing over me. I didn't know thanks was needed after a threat, I said. I don't know what made me say it. Maybe the ocean had blunted my ability to feel fear. Maybe I just didn't care anymore. Parbat didn't look ashamed. Instead, he smiled. Doesn't mean I can't be polite. Good night, Mr. Landau. And he nodded and moved away. Wait, I called, standing. Parbat stopped and turned. Why don't you want the captain to know about the child? Or the mother, I asked. I told you, Parbat said, but I cut him off, possessed by something less like courage and more like suicide. You set our course by the infant. The trees walked southwest, and now we're sailing southwest. And I pointed to Stiggs at the helm. How can our course be decided by that... that thing? Where are we going? Parbat's smile faded, and he stepped to me. With all the menace a lion would give a mouse, he spoke. Do not ask that question again. Not in my presence, the presence of the crew, and especially not the captain. I hear that question asked and you are swimming home, you understand me? Terrified, I nodded. And just as simply as he issued threats, Parbat smiled. With another friendly pat on my shoulder, the first mate bid me goodnight and moved off to bed leaving me alone to ponder the answer to my question. 
This has been The Endless Ocean, and I'm its creator, Keenan Ellis. I'd like to do some thank yous here, if you don't mind. First, I'd like to thank my patrons over at patreon.com. I really appreciate all the love and support. Your patronage actually just makes all of these episodes possible. If you'd like to join them and support the show, please head over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com foolsgallery. There's a whole set of amazing new rewards waiting for you there. Rewards like a short comic written by me. There's also um, secret episodes of The Endless Ocean that I absolutely promise exist. And by far my favorite, at season's end, uh, a physical copy of book one of The Endless Ocean will be mailed directly to your door with a personalized thank you written inside the cover. So to all my patrons, both present and future, I'd like to say thank you. I'd also like to give a big shout out to the people over at Sword Coast Soundscapes. They design all the incredible ambient sound in the background of each episode. If you have your own project or just want to GM a super immersive D&D game, they're an incredible resource and they're just a Google away. And lastly, thank you to you, our listeners. Thank you for taking this journey with us. It really means the world to me. Some of you have written reviews or reached out personally on Instagram or Reddit, and I, I'm not going to lie. Those messages really help me get through the low points of the writing process, which, if you've ever written anything, are often and numerous. So thank you all, and I'll see you next week on The Endless Ocean.